When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme with uh, Bernie and Sadie taking your calls today. If there's anything you want to share with us, as always, we love to hear from you. You can 1850-333-103, the phone line, text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And looking at the papers today, just lots and lots of photographs of people out shopping yesterday, day one of phase two which saw retailers, uh, most shops, not all of them now, but the, a lot of retail shops uh, opening. And a sense of nervousness, I think, on behalf of the shop owners themselves, nervous about going back in, but excited about going back in, but hoping that everything was going to be OK. And I suppose hoping that they were going to get footfall and they were going to get people through the door and hoping they were going to get people uh, spending money. And it certainly does look, looking at the reports in the papers uh, today, there seemed to be a nice buzz around the towns and the and the city centres which certainly is good. I mean I saw one shopper described it as being like the January sales but in summer and said that there was a lovely buzz and, and I don't, I certainly didn't hear of any place that got too crowded there was lots of queues, I mean I think queuing has become something we're just getting used to at, at this stage and it's become our new normal I, I was some 
commentary on the paper today. I mean, one woman was saying she thought the queues were too long. I don't know what shops she was trying to get into and it was actually putting her off coming or would put her off coming shopping again. Other people were saying no, they didn't mind queuing. They expected they were going to queue. It was generally speaking a reasonably nice-ish summer's day yesterday. So I suppose people don't mind queuing when there's a little bit of sunshine uh, around. But, you know, most people just saying it was great to get out and about and uh, a sense of that they'd been locked up for so long that there was a buzz around the place. And I saw one shop owner say that the more people, the, the majority of people who entered the store bought something rather than just browsed. And I think that's also going to become for a while anyway uh, gone are the days of browsing you'll be going into a shop because you specifically want to buy something and if hopefully they have exactly what you're looking for you'll come out with it in your in your paper bag but as I say great photographs on all of the papers today I do have a Vox Pop I'll get around to it later uh, taken from Cork City of Shoppers and how shoppers got on uh, yesterday so but it's just for the business owners and we mentioned it yesterday and we'll keep mentioning it. It's just so important for us to shop local. These business people have been without uh, any business for the last three months and it's just so important for them. It's so important for our towns and the centres of our towns that we have some kind of an economy uh, going. So uh, the best of luck on day two to all of the shop owners and I don't know if you went out yesterday. Did, were, did, did you enjoy being out and about yesterday? Were you nervous about it? I mean, I have heard from some people who are saying they're going to wait quite some time before they go out to the shops because they're just nervous. They're nervous about being in any area where there might be crowds. But as I say, I, I do think the business owners are, are obviously taking this all very seriously because they certainly don't want us to go back into a second lockdown. So they're going to do everything that they can to make sure that your shopping experience is going to be a comfortable one. But I suppose more important than anything that it's going to be a safe one. We have to wherever we go, we have to feel safe. I think once you feel safe, you'll be more inclined to go back again. So hopefully if you did go out shopping yesterday, it was an enjoyable experience for you. And yesterday we had the lowest number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in almost three months. But mission has not been accomplished. That was the quote from our chief medical officer, uh, Tony Houlihan. There was the the death figure yesterday. Uh, was sadly four more people passed away but it was just nine new cases were confirmed in the 24-hour period up to midnight on uh, Sunday and that nine new cases was the lowest number of confirmed cases since the 11th of March but Tony Houlihan says nine is obviously a small number in relative terms compared to some of the numbers that he's been given out almost on a daily basis but he did say and the minute I heard it I thought oh the weekend it's the weekend and he said there is what he's now calling a weekend effect he said sometimes it's not just in uh, reporting but it's also in people's attendance at uh, services so he says if you get a low number on, on a Monday and it's the same when we get a very low number of deaths Monday was the day a few weeks ago where there were no deaths had been reported and everyone thought that was the most and it was good news but everyone was jumping on that saying oh are we at the end of it and of course we weren't because it was the weekend effect again and then on the Tuesday the figure had gone back up again so Tony Houlihan is saying to people don't be disappointed if tomorrow i.e. today's figure is going to be higher particularly that figure of nine but we're now many many weeks where the number of confirmed cases every day 
is below 100 and once we keep keep keeping it below 100 and the lower down it goes you know we will one day get to where New Zealand are and it is absolutely fantastic to see the news coming out of New Zealand they appear to have completely eradicated uh, coronavirus and are they the I'm slow to say they're the first in the world, but certainly the first of the bigger countries, I suppose, to have completely eradicated because I think Fiji last week also announced that they had completely eradicated coronavirus, but Fiji would be a much smaller country than New Zealand. So anyway, great news for for, uh, New Zealand. The health officials yesterday announced that the last known infected person had now finally recovered. So they're now saying it has been uh, eradicated. The announcement means that the nation of five million people in New Zealand and that's why a lot of people compare when we talk about New Zealand a lot of focus of Ireland's focus went on New Zealand because they're a country with a similar enough population uh, base they will now be the first to welcome throngs of fans can go back into sports stadiums they'll be able to have crowded concerts they'll be able to have festivals during the uh, summer all of the seating restrictions all going to be removed social distancing is gone they can all get up close and personal with their neighbours and with their friends and the Prime Minister uh, J- Jacinda Ardan who's only 39 she's just an amazing young uh, politician she said she was confident that New Zealand had halted the spread of uh, the virus but she said you know we'll always have to be prepared for more but for now they have eradicated it and notes on social media that she did a little bit of a that when she was asked uh, how did you um, how did you celebrate the news she said she did a little bit of a, of a dance and why not and then of course the question everybody asked well how did New Zealand do it how do they do it? It was largely due to the, they had 75 days of uh, restrictions and they had about seven weeks of a very strict lockdown in which most businesses were shut. Only essential workers went out. Everybody else stayed at home for the seven weeks. So it was, you know, I mean, it was a lockdown that was even shorter really than ours. I mean, we're longer than seven weeks in our uh, lockdown. Now, the border controls are going to remain. Obviously, everything else is opening up and they're back out partying. The bars and the clubs are open and the restaurants are open and they're planning festivals, but they're still very, very tight uh, border controls. They're basically locking down New Zealand and not allowing anybody in. There is talk of a travel bubble between New Zealand and Australia and the tourist industries in both countries are really pushing for this travel bubble to open up. But Jacinda Ardan says we will need to move cautiously because she said nobody wants to jeopardise the gains that they have made in New Zealand. But I know from the Australian side they are really pushing for it and the idea would be that people from Australia could go to New Zealand on holidays and obviously the Australians are hoping that people from New Zealand would come to Australia on holidays. Now Australia are doing extremely well. I mean they've started to lift some of their restrictions as well. They're certainly not they're close to where New Zealand are, but they're not at where New Zealand are yet. They still have have confirmed cases. Uh, so I can see why Jacinda Ardan is treading very carefully here, because I know even anyone that has been allowed to go back into the country and the only people that were allowed back into New Zealand were New Zealanders themselves. And they were all 
tested as soon as they arrived into the country. They go into a quarantine situation and then they're tested again uh, and they're certainly not allowed home and not allowed back out into society for two weeks until the New Zealanders are absolutely convinced that the person doesn't have COVID-19. So they've managed to contain it. They're an island nation now and they're going to continue to try to contain it. But it will be, we'll watch with interest what happens next for New Zealand if they do open up that travel bubble with uh, Australia because if now they have no confirmed cases everybody has uh, recovered the only way now that they can get a new case is by somebody bringing it into the country so it'll be interesting to watch but they have very very strict border controls many would say what we should have done and what we should be doing still doing in this country certainly New Zealand has done and it's probably one of the greatest lessons we can learn from uh, New Zealand 1850 103 Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls this morning you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Now a 17 year old boy has been charged with assault causing harm and robbery following an alleged incident in Carrigaline which left another teen with stab and slash injuries. Our senior news reporter uh, Fiona Corcoran was in court yesterday and uh, Fiona joins me. Good morning to you Fiona. Good morning Patricia, uh, how are you? I'm very well, uh, you're welcome. Now because of this lad's age, he's 17, am I right in saying that he can't be named? That's right Patricia, um, he is a juvenile in uh, the eyes of the law so he cannot be named and Judge Olin Kelleher yesterday directly spoke to the media and he said to us at the end of the case that if we, um, that if any journalist uh, named this young defendant or if they gave out details of his address or the guard station where he'll be signing on or the friends that he's associated with, that uh, we ourselves would be in breach of a court order and we'd be brought before the court. So um, it's very, it's a very serious charge to be in breach of the court order. So um, we know that this case has attracted a lot of attention over the last couple of days. And I think people need to bear in mind that, you know, identifying somebody at this stage could jeopardise the court Absolutely. going Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. So what happened in court yesterday? Uh, so Detective Carter Declan Healy uh, gave evidence of arrest charge and caution and he said that he charged, formally charged a 17-year-old at Bridewell Garden Station on Sunday night and he charged him with two offences, namely um, assault causing harm and robbery of a mobile phone and these charges relate to an incident that happened at Water Park in Carrigaline on the Saturday night. Now, he said that he had no objection, or the Gardaí had no objection to the 17-year-old being granted bail, but they wanted a number of conditions attached. And he said that these conditions uh, were in relation to a social media video that was taken of the incident in which uh, another 17-year-old was allegedly assaulted and stabbed and his mobile phone was robbed and he said this video was widely circulated on social media and as a result of this they want the 17 year old uh, defendant to stay off social media and um, he used to have absolutely no interaction on social media whatsoever he also has to remain at an address that was given to the court he has to sign on three times a week at a named guard station he has to have no contact with any witnesses in the case. He's to stay out of the Carrigal Line, um, Douglas, Black Rock areas, and he's to have no contact with three friends, and their names were also handed over to the court. And um, Judge Olin Kelleher remanded him on bail to appear at the Children's Court on July 10th next. So did he speak at all? 
the young, the young lad? No, no, no. And he made no reply to the charges after being cautioned at the guard station either. And it was a very short hearing yesterday. It only lasted for a couple of minutes. And he sat in the dock and he didn't address the court in any way. So he will be next back in, and it's the, the children's court, isn't it? He'll be next back. The children's court, court. yeah. And uh, that's July 10th. July 10th, um, okay. Um, and the terms of the bail, the bail was, that, was that unusual, asking somebody to stay off social media? Um, I suppose because, uh, because there is a video that we all know of now that was taken of this incident on or this assault on um, Saturday night and it's been shared widely on social media on all different platforms and it has um, sparked a huge amount of controversy on social media and indeed in talk radio as well over the last couple of days and in the newspapers and um, I think like because of that they, they want this person to remain off social media there's been a lot of talk on social media there's been a lot of posts about different um you know incidents and different people associated with this um assault and other incidents as well so he wants him to just stay off social media um Mm. between now and um the next course. Okay, and, and and I know the Gardaí are asking people to stop sharing the the video. Yeah, the Gardaí were quite quick to come out and ask people to stop sharing that video and um, a number of uh, public representatives have also come out and asked people not to share the video. Um, I suppose, Patricia, there's, there's two reasons why they don't want this video shared. It could jeopardise um, any future trial in this case that we have seen and we've heard of cases before where um, the, the the person um, doesn't get a fair trial because the the, the barrister may argue that they've already been tried by social media and by mm-hmm. the public. Um, and, you know, it may it may um, hamper the, the, the case. The trial, the case. Um, yeah. But also as well, I suppose on a human decency level, Patricia, I mean, you know, I've been thinking so much about this case and he's a 17-year-old boy and that video is very graphic and you can see everything that went on and you know it's on it's there for life and he's never going to be able to get away from that and his family as well you know that knowing that that's there and that everybody is watching it and commenting on it 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 makes it even more traumatic you know i mean what happened in itself is very traumatic but this just adds to it and makes it very hard to move on from it as well so i think and i know that people are sharing it and thinking that they're you know that they're doing the right thing but it's i suppose like you know, you have to just think about the family in this case and about the young person. And is this something that you would want for yourself? If, yeah. If, okay. You know. And any update on the young guy who was attacked and how he's doing, Fiona? Well, he was discharged from hospital, and um, I believe he did have surgery when he was in hospital, and he's been discharged. So the injuries, um, you know, they, they were fairly serious. He did get. Um, slashed in the face by a broken bottle and he was stabbed in the back. So it will take some time for him to recover physically from those injuries, but I'm sure the um, psychological effects of these That's injuries are going to be... With uh, him for many years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, dreadful, so dreadful. All right, listen, um, Fiona, thank you for that. And I know I have a Vox Pop from you that I'll be playing uh, later on. Oh, yeah. You were out with um, with the, the shoppers. I mean, I was reading some of the quotes that were in the papers today that seemed like there was a great buzz around town yesterday. Yeah, and it was really, really busy. Um, you know, I've been in and out of the city quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, and yesterday there was just such an air of positivity around the place and really good atmosphere. People were in really good form. Um, 
And a lot of the retailers that I spoke to yesterday, they said they have all of their social distancing measures in place and anybody that came into the shop were were fine with that. Nobody really seemed to mind the queuing. I suppose it's become very much a part of our normal shopping experience now. And even people that I spoke to, I mean, there was queues, really long queues outside a couple of shops where there were sales. And I don't yeah. know, Oasis had closing down sale and they had massive queues. But I also saw big queues outside Guyanese and JD Sports and Tommy Hilfiger and um, you know people are expecting massive queues outside Pennies but um, when it opens on Friday but people don't really seem to mind queuing and a lot of people that I spoke to just on the street shoppers that I spoke to said you know they've been cooped up for so long and it's great to just get out and soak up the atmosphere and they really don't mind queuing and going in and I know that people have been able to shop online but it's the experience of actually going into a shop and, and looking at stuff and you know, um, one woman that I spoke to said, uh, you know, that she just she doesn't even bother with the online shopping because, you know, you can't try on stuff, you no. can't feel it, you don't know what it's actually like until it arrives in the post. It could be a couple of weeks later and then you might have to send it back. So at least when you go into the shop. Yes, you're uh, seeing there. it there and then. Yeah. Uh, and as, as somebody said... Human contact with people, you know, to just... Well, I think, I think that's it, just to get out get mm. out and meet. As somebody said, it was like the January sales in the middle of July. Yeah. Uh, anyway, listen, um, we leave it there uh, and I will play your Vox Pop later on. So thank you for that as well. And thanks thank for you. joining us this morning, Fiona. Thank you. Uh, good morning. That is our senior news reporter, Fiona Corcoran, 1850 333103. Bernie and Sadie are taking your course. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. It's with it. 1850-333-103 Now hairdressers have revealed plans which they say would allow them to reopen earlier than planned. Currently salons are due to open up in the final phase of lifting restrictions which is now July 20th where the Irish Hairdressers Federation say with certain measures in place they could safely reopen during phase three. Daniela Kennedy is the incoming president of the Irish Hairdressers Federation. We spoke there a few weeks ago and she rejoins me on the programme. Good morning to you Danielle. Good morning Well, it's lovely to speak to you as well. Now, many retail outlets opened earlier than expected yesterday. Were you disappointed to hear that the government is still appearing to push for July 20th for your industry? Yeah, like, look, obviously, yesterday was a very positive day. We were delighted to see an acceleration of the roadmap, but we were disappointed that at this point, our industry reopening date hasn't been brought forward. Um, although I did hear Minister Harris speaking on radio yesterday morning and he did reference our guidelines. Um, he d- said that they were comprehensive and that they were hoping to engage with us this week. Good. So I think that that could be a nice positive step for us. Yeah, because I know Leo Varadkar at the weekend was saying, you know, hairdressing work, it involves high risk engagement. So so just this minute, we, we can't go through, you've over 100 recommendations, but what, what, what are you recommending that you feel you could do it, you could open and open safely? Look, our main things are, um, look, the hairdressing industry, it's a very sanitary environment. Anyway, we're used to sanitisation, we're used to disinfecting all our tools and areas after every client, and then obviously we've introduced extra measures. Um, so we have our procedures that we're already used to from going into our shops at this stage, hand sanitizer, um, but we're able to introduce extra measures, like removing all your communal touchable items, your magazines, um, we have the ability to pre-screen our clients for their visit. Um, we will send that with your appointment reminder. 
um, the ability to accru- uh, to um, limit numbers in the building because mostly we operate on appointments, uh, implement the social distancing measures within the salon, PPE for stylists, recommendation of face masks for both the stylist and the client, um, and then procedures for laundering items and using disposable items on time. Okay, so you've got all, you've, you've everything really covered. The PPE for the stylists, uh, Daniela, I mean, have you trialled cutting and colouring and hair wearing PPE gear? No, the, it will be, we will be looking at aprons, gowns, face masks, um, gloves where pra- practical to wear them because you can't actually um, use the scissors with a pair of gloves on. <laughs> um, so that comes back your your good hand hygiene yeah. um, and your good hand washing procedures. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be talking about face visors, would you? No, the visors are more to stop people touching their face. We have referenced and liaised with health and safety auditors on our guidelines um, and visors aren't particularly needed for our industry because we're working from the back of the client. Um, visors are mainly as well to stop people touching their face um, and that's yeah, that wouldn't be an issue. We're working with our hands. Yeah, um, and the and the client wearing a mask when you're doing their hair that would that cause problems for you when you're cutting somebody's hair? Not really, because oh. with, of the way they're looped behind the ear, um, it's it's very easy to work around. Um, look, you know there is adjustments. There's adjustments to every industry at the moment, but we feel we're one of the industries that's very well equipped to adjust the measures and get back on our feet again you know we've a lot of people employed in this industry in Ireland and we want to get back to work yeah. and get back to work in a very safe manner and I think you're right with your with one of your opening comments about you know the fact that it, it is such a sterile envi- environment when you go into a hairdressing salon because you're constantly mm-hmm. sterilising brushes and combs and towels are being washed and hair is being washed you know what I mean it, it is a pretty sterile place Yes, like that, that, that's, it, that's all done as standard anyway. And like what I was saying, that we're set up for contact tracing. We yeah. always know who's in the building. We always have their contact details. And that's something that's actually very important to the Department of Health. Um, and that isn't offered in a lot of other industries. Um, so we, we feel we can operate in an extremely safe manner. Um, there's a huge need for our services at the minute. Um a huge need, a huge need. I can hear the cheer go up. I mean, there was a sur- I'm sure there was a survey over the weekend when people were asking what did they most want opened and it was hairdressers and barbers. Every, every survey like that that I read, hairdressers and barbers uh, come out on top. How are other countries dealing with hairdressing salons? Because many of them have opened up. They have and um, much earlier than us. So in most of our European counterparts, salons were only closed for six to eight weeks. They were kind of ranked much higher up, as in like closer to an essential service. Um, because it's not just for vanity reasons. There is a lot of mental health benefits to getting your hair done. You look good, you feel good. Um, obviously, then we offer a vital service um, to a lot of elderly clients in our community that are unable to look after their own hair. Um, but in our European counterparts, we just got actually some data in from Germany at the weekend. And... Um, they have continued to decline. Their salons are already open five weeks and the numbers in the country have 
it continues to decline and there hasn't been any issue. Okay, so that's, that's all extremely positive as, as we reopen here. Are you fearful, Daniela, the longer it goes <coughs> on, that some salons, particularly smaller ones, may never reopen? Look, each week that goes by, the bills are racking up. Like, there are grants and stuff available, but the bills that are racking up for businesses, they're far in excess of the grants available. So the longer it goes on, the more and more businesses won't reopen, and that puts more and more jobs at risk. Oh, that's such a shame. It's such a shame. And as you say, you, you your members want to get back and your customers yeah. want you to get back. And are you still hearing of hairdressing going on in the black market? Yes. Yeah. But look, that's why we're kind of pushing more than ever to really get back. Um, like we understand clients want, people want their hair done. They want to feel good. Um, but yeah, that's why we're pushing more than ever to get back open and look after our clients in a much more, in a very sanitary environment which has all the health and safety procedures in place to do that in a very, very safe manner. Okay, so you're hoping for some kind of engagement this week? Yes, yes. Mr. Mr. Harris stated it on the radio yesterday, so we're feeling extremely positive um, for something later in the week. Okay, all right. Well, we'll keep an eye on this uh, story. We'll talk again, no doubt, uh, Daniela. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Daniela Kennedy, who is the incoming president of the Irish Hairdressers Federation. And I know a lot of people will be happy to hear that the hairdressers are pushing like mad. They want the salon doors to reopen and then let the fun begin as you try to get an appointment. 1850-333-103. Lines are open. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Almost 100 of the 234 St. Vincent de Paul charity shops throughout the country reopened yesterday to find out how they got on and what business looks like in the new retail scene. I'm joined by the Vincent's shops, from the Vincent's shops by Dermot McGilloway, who is SVP's National Retail Development Manager. Good morning to you, Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. So what was the feedback from day one? Well, look, so far, so good, really. Um, uh, The Irish public have been phenomenally generous to the St. Vincent de Paul throughout this crisis, and and generally they are, uh, but they responded very, very well yesterday. Uh, As you say, nearly 100 shops opened yesterday, including 11 in Cork and a further three in Kerry, uh, and we got a magnificent response to it. People were very responsible um, they come in, they did their shopping, um, they didn't spend any unnecessary time there. They they bought what they needed and, and, and left again and let somebody else in. And so we had we had small queues in a number of the shops around the country, but overwhelmingly really positive response from everybody and uh, a very good day all around. Brilliant, um, so brilliant. What have you had to put in place, Dermot, to ensure the safety of both customers and the staff and indeed the, the volunteers that work in your shop? Yeah, well, absolutely. Look, and, and I suppose one, the first thing to say is we're an all-island organisation, so we had a look at uh, both jurisdictions. So we looked at what the legislative requirements, both north and south of the border, uh, and it's all about hygiene. It's all about, you know, it's, it's hand sanitation is one of the main issues, and so uh, we've, we've put hand sanitizers in at the doors of the shops, and we've put them in uh, strategically positioned around the shops as well. Uh, we've introduced a very, very tight cleaning regime um, to make sure that, uh, you know, after the surface is touched by anybody, really, that it gets a a good thorough wipe down before the next uh, user arrives. Uh, we have put hygiene screens or sneeze guards, as they're being called, in and around the till areas. 
uh, in any of the shops that have opened. Uh, and we've also put in um, debit and credit card machine readers for those people who don't want to use cash. We have the option of using um, a debit or credit card machine. We're very happy to take payment by card, although we continue to take cash payments because some of our customers, that's how they pay for things. Mm. Um so those would be some of the main things, social distancing, obviously. Yeah, and then things, so. there's there's a limit on the number of people can go into the shop, yeah. as you, when you when you referenced about uh, queues. And listen, I was talking earlier in the programme about queuing. We're just, we're gone so used to queuing now, it's almost become the norm. Well, that's it. Look, we, at, uh, under the current uh, regulations, it's it's one customer for 133 square feet. Okay. Um, so each of the shop managers is able to work out what their what their shop floor area is, and we've provided posters for each shop. So on the front of each shop window, it should say, in the shop, five people can enter at okay. any given time. Uh, and so we're using that as a guide. And obviously that's under review from the government. So at whatever stage it's reviewed by the government, we'll review it locally. Now, are you in need of donations, Dermot, for your shops? Well, look, we're in need of donations, and we're always in need of donations, but a bigger appeal I would make today is for volunteers, actually. Um, uh, we have 234 shops across the island, and in addition to that, we have six order fulfillment centres, which is just a fancy word of saying warehouse. Okay. Uh, and we have two in, uh, down uh, in your area. We have one down in Black Rock in Cork, and we have another one in Tralee. Um, and we're constantly looking for new volunteers, and we're very conscious at the moment that people are between jobs. Maybe they're off for the summer. Uh, maybe some people from new communities have just arrived onto the island of Ireland and, and were there to help people to integrate into society or to, to, to help people sharpen up their skills. So we're blessed in one regard in that we have nearly 3,000 volunteers already working in our shops, but quite a significant percentage of them are over 70 or would have pre-existing conditions uh, under which they're currently being asked to continue to shield at home. Oh, uh, we want. We, yeah. we, we want to get them back into the shops as quickly as possible, but uh, we have to take government guidance on that. So mm. if any of the listeners today in court uh, um, on your program this morning are available, are between jobs, maybe have a couple of months off or have a skill that they think we can use in one of our shops, we would just be delighted to have them join the team. And can they just pop into their local shop or who do they contact? Yeah, well, I think the easiest thing is to do that, just yeah. drop onto the local shop. But you can contact svp.ie is the website or there's, there's an email address I can give you. Okay. Uh, if they, or if they go to svp.ie forward slash shop volunteer, I'll just repeat that, that's svp.ie forward slash shop volunteer. Or if the call to the local shop, uh, it's probably the easiest thing yeah. to do. There's a switch in Dublin. I can give you that number. And is there, is there a commitment? Do people have to commit to how many hours a week they're willing to give or how many days they're willing to give? Or do you work with the volunteers to whatever they can give? Well, look, we'll absolutely work with the volunteers. I mean, it suits a lot of people maybe that have a couple of weeks off between jobs or between projects or between yeah. studies or things like that where they say maybe they've got window dressing skills or they love sorting out clothing or... They like collectibles or they like first edition books or, you know, they just want to give a hand. They like cleaning. <laughs> Some people just love cleaning. Um, they've got very used to cleaning over the last 12 weeks. And so we have a lot of shops and a lot of premises that need that kind of upkeep and that kind of... Uh, uh, Looking PLC. after. Yeah. Looking yeah. after. Okay, so, yeah. you know, I, I would really appeal to every single one of your listeners. And, and we're extremely well supported down in Cork. So I would like to take this opportunity to thank the listeners of C103 for the generosity to the society. But for anybody that's between jobs at the moment, or as I say, has a wee bit of time on their hands, don't don't think that you wouldn't have a place or a role to play within the society. Because even within our shops, 
there's eight or nine different roles that a volunteer could carry out. And whilst we would hope that the relationship would become a longer term one, we'll be only too happy to take the support of somebody for a couple of weeks. Uh, it can be a great, Dermot, it can be a great social outlet uh, for people uh, as well. You know, it's, it's, it's something I'm always recommending to people if they're coming up to retirement and they're dreading retirement and what am I going to do? I'm always saying, have you considered volunteering at a charity shop? They're, they're, and it always seems to be a very happy environment in charity shops. I don't know what it is, but there's always that sense of fun almost when you, when you go into a charity shop. Well, look, there's a, there's a fantastic family working in the St. Vincent de Paul shops right across the island, and they really are a family. And, and there's, look, the, the society shops are there in part to raise funds, but our role is so much bigger than that. And it really is about reconnecting people with society, uh, particularly people that have suffered from poverty that really disconnects people from society. Coming and either visiting our shop as a customer or volunteering or, or even becoming a donor allows you to reconnect with other people in your community without having to spend any money if you're not shopping there. Uh, and so we would like to see our shops as kind of more of a recreational hub where people from all backgrounds in all communities can come in. They can reconnect with other people in their community uh, and they can browse for a bit. Browsing is not so easy just at this exact minute in time, but um, people often come to our shops just to reach out to other members of of, of their community. And that's an important part of what we do now. Down in the southwest, I'm, I'm really pleased to say that we have a really good spread of shops in a whole very uh, diverse range of different areas. We have some city centre shops. We have some shops in kind of more affluent suburbs. But we also have plenty of shops in, in more rural areas uh, and also in areas of social deprivation. And again, I think the St. Vincent de Paul is a wee bit unique in that regard because we don't just want to be on the high street where we're going to get the big sales in. Uh, we are absolutely committed to being out in local housing estates and local community areas and in some of our, 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 our more rural locations. One of my favourite shops in the whole country is Castletown Bear. Yeah. A beautiful part of the world. I'm a shop there and a phenomenal team of people doing great work down in it. And it's a joy, really, to get out of the city and to get down and spend some time with those people. And it really is a real lesson in what Vincentian values are all about. Uh, and about when, do, when do you hope to have all of your shops open, Dermot? Well, look, we, we, we're not going to rush anybody or anything. Okay. And, and I suppose, we, we, A, we need to make sure that there are volunteers to actually work in these shops. Uh, and there needs to be an appetite for them. Now, the message from yesterday is that there's a huge appetite for these shops to reopen. But we're really working with the local teams, and we don't want to have to do this. We, we don't really want a shop open until we feel it can cope with the requirements that the government have put in place. So, um, as I said already, 14 of the shops in the southwest opened yesterday, and there's another batch opening next week. Um, I suspect it'll be another few weeks before we have the entire uh, network back up and running again, but we are actively working. There's a phenomenal group of people working down in the southwest there in, in St. Vincent de Paul. Okay. And, members and, and, and we know how important the shops are to the ongoing work of uh, VDP, and it has been a big, big financial hit for the society to have these shops closed. Yeah, well, look, uh, on an annual basis, uh, our shops are lucky enough to contribute just over €8 million Euros a year uh, to the work of the St. Vincent de Paul. And we've just had to take three months out of that trading calendar. Yeah. Um, so you can do the maths on that one. It's been a big, big hit. But much more importantly than any financial hit has been the intangible 
value of people reconnecting with each mm. other and I know I've mentioned it already but it's such an important it, part absolutely, of what we do. Absolutely, listen Dermot, continue good luck to the great work at uh, VDP and thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. Thanks very much. Good morning to you, bye bye, bye. that is bye Dermot uh, McGilloway who is VDP's National Retail Development Manager if you've got any time to spare and would like to work in one of the local Vincent's uh, shops or any of the charity shops pop in, they'd be only too glad to hear from you. Okay, we need to take a break we have news at 11 on uh, the way in the next hour we're going to hear about the lockdown parties which are continuing third weekend in a row happening in and around the college areas of the city and it's causing huge problems uh, for residents Uh, we were talking about hairdressers and a push by the hairdressing industry to open earlier they're down for the 20th of July hairdressers reckoned well according to the hairdressers federation they would be ready to open when we move into the next phase phase three three which is be on the 29th of June a listener says uh, on hairdressers reopening I think people should bring their own towels with them it's a well known fact says this texter that a lot of hairdressers just put used damp towels into the dryer or if a towel has only been on somebody's shoulders it's used to dry the next customer's hair especially if the shop is busy if we bring our own towels we'll be absolutely certain that the towel is clean that's not a bad idea that is not a bad idea I wonder how hairdressers and I'm sure hairdressers themselves if you were very particular and went in and, and said I want to insist on using my own towels I, I don't think they would refuse your custom but it isn't a bad suggestion I mean there's so many recommendations there's over a hundred recommendations that the Hairdressing Federation have sent to the government all different rules and regulations around making sure that when you go to a hairdressing salon after lockdown that you will be safe and I don't think it's it's not the worst suggestion in the world for sure thank you for that someone else says Patricia I work in the beauty industry and I'm sick to death of listening about hair and beauty going back before the recommended date of July 20th I personally won't feel comfortable going back yet as I see people and there's a lot of complacency out there at the moment. Also, and this is a good point, not everyone is ready to go as we're still waiting on PPE deliveries, etc. There's a delay in delivering due to supply demands and that it will certainly stop a lot of places opening. I mean, because when they do open and I imagine there will be strict regulations and rules from the government allowing hairdressers to open a little bit like the rules they put in place for the retail sector and I'm assuming one of them is going to be PPE gear and having to have PPE gear available for staff and maybe customers as well and if the if hairdressing salon or a beauty salon doesn't have the PPE gear they're not going to be able to open so that's a that's a good uh, point as well uh, thank you for your text and hi Patricia if it was mainly women running the country hairdressers would have been one of the first to open by the way says this texter how do the stylists look after the TV presenters the TV presenters and when they work when they're hair and makeup and who's who's doing that I don't know I, I take it some of them are probably doing it themselves but do they have hairdressers and if so what sort of rules and regulations and guidelines are they using and if there are hairdressers available to TV presenters what regime are they working under and if they are working under under a regime why can't the same be had for hairdressing out in the general public Thank you for your text. Now a couple of texts 
text in about NCT centres. There's a WhatsApp in St. Patricia. Any idea when Charleville testing centre is going to reopen? And Curtin from Oi is wondering when the NCT centre in Yall is going to reopen. Now, last Monday, the National Car Test Centres opened on a phase basis from last Monday. Here in Cork, only two centres reopened. That's the one of Little Island and the one in Blarney. And I've gone onto their website and there are certainly no dates yet. They haven't put dates up on when they hope to have the rest of the test centres open for now. Even around the country, there's just, I mean, there's, a, there's really only a handful of them around uh, the country. But for Cork, we only have the two open at the moment, Little Island and uh, Blarney, if people want to go there. And of course, as always, you have to book online and all of that. Uh, but so sorry, no, I don't have a date. They're still not, they still haven't reopened. And as I say, no date, no date for a reopening on their website. Well, I mentioned New Zealand earlier on and how New Zealand now have got rid of coronavirus and they're the first country to really officially come out and say we're out of lockdown but they're still keeping the country locked down in this really really strict border controls Um, and because New Zealand has a similar population base to us and they're also an island people were saying well if New Zealand has done it so well you know what can we learn from New Zealand and what can we do so that we could be the New Zealand of Europe almost? Uh, Meg says there is no way you can compare Ireland to New Zealand. Why? We left people in and then said, golly gosh, we now have a problem. There was no real border controls here. And that's what New Zealand did when they realised that they were starting to have a problem with COVID-19. And they realised that it was coming in from outside to New Zealand. They just locked the country down and anybody allowed into New Zealand has to go in into they're taken straight and put into hotels and holding areas holding areas is probably the wrong word but hotels they go into isolation uh, forced isolation it's not the way in this country we're relying on people we're trusting people that when they give an address saying they're going to self-isolate for two weeks we trust that they will stay in that house and that they will self-isolate it's forced in New Zealand and it's the same in Australia and that's why those countries have done so well now uh, can I just go quickly to an email that came in from uh, Margaret that says Hi Patricia as we all move forward I too feel your anger this was yesterday when I was angry about uh, people with disabilities and, and daycare services and when were the daycare services going to open and there was no mention of them when we were talking about the phase t- the opening up of phase two and people were talking about hairdressers and nobody was talking about daycare services by the way thank you to a listener who did send me on a link to the HSC which is a framework document a lengthy framework document for the opening up of daycare services for adults and uh, it's a lengthy lengthy read and I didn't take much hope from it to be honest I mean I certainly think that when the day, care, the day service is open it's not going to be the day services that we had in the past it's certainly not going to be Monday to Friday 9 to 4 for everyone I think it's going to be very very limited and you know this talks about the transportation and the vast majority of people who go adults with a disability who go to those day daycare services are collected it's a you know it's a door to door fantastic door to door service there was a huge piece in this framework document about the the transportation section and I think it's I think it's it's going to be a long time I think before we have the services back to the way they were before March but thank you by the way to that listener who sent that on to me uh, yesterday uh, made for 
a, a good but a depressing read, I have to say, yesterday afternoon. Anyway, I was having my rant yesterday then and talking about these, what, what are very vulnerable uh, people. So, Margaret says, um, I too feel your anger that there will be many left behind. We are all in this together was the mantra and is the mantra we're all using. Well, it'll be well forgotten and you can be sure of that. It's a pity that the links and the supports that were so quickly joined together could well be lost when society rushes forward going nowhere. There were many pressures put on Neffet to open up the economy. Many TDs in the Dáil were vocal in their support of bringing phases forward. Of course, it was from a point of vested interest. So now they're all patting themselves on the back and again, vulnerable people will be left behind. And why? Because, Patricia, they are not as important in the grand scheme of things as those that have the ear of a TD. Did you see how quickly horse racing returned and how the Irish Greyhound Board pushed to be allowed to start up again? They didn't close voluntarily and were forced to close and yet they have a voice in the doll. Many supports for vulnerable people closed voluntarily and will stay closed for a long time to come because there isn't the same vested interest in this sector. We will be back to begging for home helps. There will be trolley watching and there will be people who will not emerge from this pandemic, not because of the virus, but because the sport, the supports they had are simply gone. We need a minister for older people and we need a voice for vulnerable adults because they, they, those who shout the loudest are the ones who get heard. They have no voice, Patricia, and we have to be that voice. It's time that voice was heard loud and clear and not being given the same condescending snippets of interest we hear every so often when it suits our leaders, i.e. during election time. Well said, uh, Margaret. Thank you for that. And that was emailed to Patricia at c103.ie. And I know tomorrow we're hoping there's an, there is a call has gone out suddenly for a Minister for Older People. I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but I know we're hoping to do something on that tomorrow on the programme. Uh, so it certainly is an issue we will get back to tomorrow. Mary has texted in. She, Mary was one of the people who went out yesterday and I was asking for people's thoughts on if you did go out yesterday, if you did venture out into the retail world, how did you uh, get on? Mary says, I'm deeply traumatised. After going out yesterday, there was queues everywhere and people were wearing, some people were wearing face masks, but they were actually wearing them incorrectly. They seem to be constantly touching their faces and playing with the face masks. That's exactly what they tell you not to do. I saw people licking their fingers. I saw one fool, says Mary, with a hole in the centre of the mask for smoking his cigarette. I'm done with shopping for a week. There's so much until all that stupidity settles uh, down. We've said that before, Mary, that we're looking for a vaccine for coronavirus, but there's no vaccine for stupidity our ignorance and but Mary's right on the face mask if you are going down that route of wearing the fa- a face mask you put on the face mask and then you don't touch it until you're ready to take it off and then you've got to be extremely careful when you take it off because if you have picked up anything you're going to put it onto your hands you need to wash your hands immediately afterwards but certainly playing around with it and constantly fixing it when you're out is defeating the purpose of you wearing the mask so please do be careful on that one Hi Patricia we've heard about the leaving cert and the fact it's gone and the grades are being given out instead. We're hearing about secondary schools, we're hearing about plans for primary uh, schools and yet we're not hearing anything about colleges and third level education. The government and the heads of the colleges remain stumb as regards to 
What is going to happen? Who's going to be returning in September? Are the courses going to be done on campus? Are they going to be done remotely? As parents trying to sort out accommodation and plan to budget for it, especially at this such an expensive time, do the people who should have the answers only think it fair to start letting us know so that we can prepare? That's Yeah, and you, you're right. It is something. Now, I'm sure there's lots of talk going on behind the scene, but that listener is right. If there are lots of talks and lots of plans for what is going to happen with third, legi- third level education, could you share it with the students? And more importantly, could it be shared with the parents of the students who need to do the planning, the financial planning? And yeah, I'd, you're in a bit of a catch-22 when it comes to accommodation because really... We get to, usually once the leaving cert ends, we would still be in, we would, yeah, we'd, we'd be only into the, we'd only be the, into, coming up to the end of the first week of the leaving cert exams. It's usually after the exams and before the leaving cert results come out that you would hear of parents frantically heading off to cities where universities are if they think that's where their son or daughter is going to be going and the scramble and the search for accommodation gets underway. And people really don't know what to do. I mean, if if a lot of the courses are going to be done remotely, will will you be going to college, but you'll be at home for most of the time? So uh, can you commute instead? And there's a lot, a lot to be decided there. It's just, and again, knowledge is power. I think that's the one thing. It's like when I spoke about yesterday about the adult services for people with a disability I, I didn't even know that that framework was out that they've started working on a framework but at least if you have the framework you've got some idea what what their thinking is what way they're going to go and out of that you might be able to work out what's going to happen but I do think it's to try to keep people informed it's it's I think people get more panicked and more stressed when we're living in sort of this dark void where we don't know where the end game is and we don't know what's going to open up and when is it going to open up and when is... I mean, I can't say when will life return to normal because I think life is not going to return to normal until we have got rid of coronavirus or at least until there's a vaccine there. In the meantime, our new normal is learning to live with COVID-19 and learning to live with the coronavirus and that's, I think, is what we're all attempting to do at the moment. But give us the knowledge. Tell us what's happening. Let us know what other plans at least. Thank you for your text to 086 2103103. And then something completely not COVID-19. Hi Patricia, just asking. Is it legal to burn waste bushes slash gorse recently cleared from land in June? One in full flame this very moment. So I checked in to see what is the laws and rules and regulations on the burning of uh, waste. Now, the burning of waste, we all know, is uh, illegal. It's a health hazard. It's an environmental hazard. They're burning any kind of waste. It produces toxic smoke and it produces chemicals. So we're all told you should not burn any kind of waste, be that commercial or be it domestic waste. But there is a but on this. There is under the Act, under the Environmental Act on Burning, there is a thing called controlled burning for farmers. A farmer may carry out a controlled burn of untreated, uncontaminated wood, trees, trimmings, leaves, bushes or similar materials generated by agricultural practices. 
before the burning takes place, the farmer must notify fire control officer and must submit a completed statutory uh, notice. So yes, technically, if it's a farmer burning, once he's the he's got the permission and he's got onto, I don't, I don't know where that text has come in from, but once he gets onto his local uh, council and the fire control officer, his local council, uh, yes, he is allowed uh, to do it. Uh, 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. We have a childbinder wanted for four children, two to three afternoons per week. It's in the Bandon area and the job starts August, September. A childbinder wanted for a six-month-old baby that's in the Clonakilty Rathbarry area, while a full-time kitchen fitter is wanted for immediate start with drum carpentry kitchens and wardrobes. And chef, cook, kitchen assistant all wanted for a busy kitchen in the Mill Street area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And sorry, somebody's just texted in wondering about the needs to get a driving licence renewed and wondering when the National Driving Licence Service, the NDLS centres, when are they reopening? They actually reopened, same as the limited number of NCTs. They reopened on the 8th in many locations. They're not all open yet, but the ones, uh, there's only the three here in Cork isn't it the, certainly the Cork ones are open the one in the city the one in Market Square in Mallow and the one on the first floor of the Cork Arts in Skibbereen they're all open but you need to you have to book online they're not allowing uh, any walk in appointments you must book your appointment online and they can only accept card payments they're not It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 
not able to accept cash checks or postal orders. So the three in Cork for the NDLS National Driver's Licence Service have reopened since Monday. Uh, 1850 Now I was so disappointed to hear that the so-called lockdown house parties continued over the weekend in houses close to Cork's university campuses with reports that a marquee was found in the back garden of one rented property when the Gardaí called. I'm joined once again by Catherine Clancy, who is chairwoman of the Magazine Road Residents Association. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, Tricia. Hi, you're welcome. This uh, the third weekend in uh, a row. Are you seeing any sign of them stopping? Well, I suppose, uh, Tricia, what we have to say, you know, we've had our community guys, they've been very active in the area, like since the um, group of students, J1s and the students that would have gone to Canada moved into our area about three weeks ago. We have had um, seen, we see, we physically see improvements, like, you know, the guards say to us that they um, use the four E's, they call it, engage, explain and encourage. And that has made a difference, but unfortunately, unfortunately for us as residents, we have some landlords and, you know, they've totally ignored um, and haven't listened, haven't, you know, take engaged and haven't taken on board our concerns and haven't come to, con, con, taken on board the concerns around the uh, resurgence of the coronavirus and using these houses for lockdown parties. And um, we had instances over the last weekend, that's true, of a particular house where there was a marquee set up in the back garden. And what we're saying, I suppose, Patricia, at this stage, you know, as residents, we want the, the uh, Gardino to move onto the fourth E, which is enforcement, because it's as obvious to us as, uh, you know, as residents that there are some landlords, unless it hits them in the pocket, unless it's in the pocket, and these properties are closed down. And that's this fines for people that actually engage in this irresponsible behaviour, that this will continue. It's like deja vu. Like so, so, so are you blaming the landlords rather than the, you, you've tried engaging with well, the I young people? Yeah, yeah, we, and, we, and as I said, we made inroads there, like with the landlords, in renting these properties, have facilitated these parties to take place. When the landlords and some of them changed, lost those houses, actually one of those houses uh, we were talking about long, last weekend, had a whole new tenancy come in uh, last weekend. And the landlords, knowing they're here for no reason, they're not coming for work, they're not coming to, on essential services, they're coming here to party and they have rented out those, their houses cheaper than what they would uh, during the um, ordinary student term. So it's, like. it's short-term leases then? Is short-term it, leases yeah, for, yeah. For, for, for no other reason but to have the party But to party, there. yeah. And yeah, there's nobody, yeah. no landlord is saying, why do you only want my property for a month? No, no, they're just taking the money and going. Now, there are a cohort of landlords, and we can't emphasise it enough, that, you know, have not opened up their properties. Responsible landlords, but they've always been responsible landlords in our area. Like, we share this community, I'm here 30 odd years with rented properties, you know, no problem. A lot of HSE workers renting properties around here. Students, we have students who've stayed before the lockdown and they're still here, like, you know, no problem. This is a different cohort. Like, the parents who dropped them off here three weeks ago, the young people who, um, you know, they'll all start getting up there now about four o'clock and uh, then start taking off and we see them around the place, like, you know, that, that needs to that needs to end. They need to go home. They need to stay safe. And I was just listening on the radio there now again this morning, Trisha, like, uh, today we're at exactly the same place where we were on the 12th of March when we had the lockdown. We're not out of it by any means. Mm. And we as residents, you know, primarily we have a lot of new families in the area, but we also primarily older residents. We're nervous. We've done our piece. And really what we feel, the landlords and letting these properties, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's it may not be criminal, but it appears to be that. Like, we want Angarda Shikana with the HSE to use 
section 1947 of the Health Act, which allows them to go in when there's a danger to the uh, spread of infection or, you know, and to close down these houses. Yeah, I was reading about this over the weekend. This is an old law, isn't yeah. it? Because uh, initially the Gardaí were saying, oh, you know, oh, we, we, we can't go into the property, wasn't it? And all we can do is yeah. ask them ask them to stop. But there is actually a law there that they, there can, they can go in. They can under this um, Health Act uh, 1947. It's a public health act and it allows the HSE with the support of the Gardaí to go in and to close down these houses. And also it should have implications for the gar- for the landlords in that they could be fined and also that it would have implications for the reopening of those houses. They would have to be cleansed and cleaned and made fit for purpose before they're opened again. Some of these houses where the parties are taking place, uh, Patricia, have only one toilet. And you could have about uh, 40 people, 50 people inside in that house, you know. And what they say, if it's indoors, which will happen as the weather gets worse, I suppose, is like there's 19% chance of, a higher chance of the spread. But look, we're at our wit's end, I suppose. We know the community guards have supported us as much as they can. The residents have done their bit. You know, we have a great community here, and that has shown itself really strongly in the last couple of days. We've lived all our lives with young people. We have a shared community with the group that are giving two fingers to us, the community, giving two fingers to the regulations around COVID-19, the young people that are doing that, and the landlords. There needs to be enforcement and uh, legislation. And outside of the obvious concerns with the spread of coronavirus, which mm. is which is obviously your, your top mm. priority, how much of a nuisance, Catherine, are these house parties? Well, I suppose, you know, we have, uh, last night, no, for instance, um, we have a, a, a resident, quite elderly resident, like, you know, that had a house near him, and it was four o'clock in the morning. A lot of them are in the back garden. He couldn't identify the house that it was. He um, was awake for half the night, did contact the guards. The guards did come, like, you know, it wasn't always possible to identify, but you, know, you hear the noise, you're awake. Yeah. You're awake. And you'll never, ever again get that night's sleep back. And you're hearing what, laughing and talking and, and no, music? It's louder than that. It's no. Louder than that. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, for instance, I suppose you're seeing, well, we can deal with that. Like they're heading home from parties this morning down the road, you know what I mean? 8.30 or 7 o'clock. The postman, I suppose, witnesses so much in the morning when he goes around. We have a lovely postman here when he goes around in the morning and he just throws his eyes up to heaven, you know. But um, as I say, like we want, we have a lovely community here. We want, we want our peace back. We want to be where we were a month ago living in, in harmony with the, resi- with the residents and with the rented properties around there. That's yeah. what we want. And you want and to feel safe. You want, want to, you want to feel safe. safe. Yeah. College authorities, Catherine, do they have a role yeah. and are they getting yeah. involved? Well, what the President did issue a statement um, last week, uh, a joint statement with the CIT and UCC, uh, reminding students to be respectful because a lot of them are students of both those colleges and a lot of them don't come from the next parish. They haven't come as far. Some have come from West Cork and Kerry, but some have come from, you know, the next parishes to our community as well, like, you know. And UCC have issued, uh, they said they've sent an email out to all their students. They've issued a statement saying that, you know, you're still a student of UCC. Mm-hmm. Respect the community that you're in. We've built up huge relationships with UCC over the last four years. They've been hugely damaged. And the image of our city has been hugely damaged. The image of our community, you know, and that they said, like, that students who are fine to be, um, you know, involved in what's going on with the lockdown house parties, that they will be fined by UCC if they're identified. Okay, someone else is saying, what about the parents of these young people? I that know. They, they, I mean, they have a role to play. Huge role. I mean, we had um, students, 
we have a lot of leaving cert students here who were dropped off by their parents. We had uh, when we had the beautiful weather in the June weekend. Not alone did they drop them off, but we had a parent arrive. It's laughable, like but listen, there was a that beautiful weather. The daughter came out in her bikini, and the mom dropped off a sunbed. You know, um, oh. we have other parents who actually did come, and we physically saw parents come and take their young sons and daughters away. Okay, but good. That hasn't been the case good. in general. Like, and what we want, I suppose, to treat ourselves to get the message, take them home, keep them safe. Yeah. We're only gone into stage two. We all need to stay together, stick together and keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. Gathering in house parties where you have a 19% chance of increasing getting the virus is not safe for the people who are yeah, in the I heard, I mean, Tony Holden yeah. was, was talking about it again last weekend. I mean, he's, I he's really, he's what you could see he's worried about it. He is and everybody is and like we're worried. But like what we find despite the efforts of the guards, you know, there are landlords and the only way I think really that these they're a cohort of their own, a particular group. Like, you know, we have wonderful landlords here that we work hugely with, but they're a group of landlords. And we have a business, another landlord that owns about 40 houses in the area. And his, his, his houses have come to our attention on numerous occasions by but the parties. It's all about money. It's, it's, it's all, all about money. And they're paying, like, all you know, money. huge. It's all about money. And they like what they're doing is laughing all the way at the bank. Okay. Yeah, the bank and no consequences. Listen, uh, Catherine, our hearts go out to you because it's it's a really really tough situation. You're 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 a great yeah. advocate and a great spokesperson on behalf of the residents. Uh, we'll speak again, but in the meantime, thank you for that. Thanks, and thanks, Trisha thanks for joining thank us. Uh, bye 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 bye, Catherine Clancy, the chairperson of the Magazine Road uh, Residents Association. I mean, that elderly man, you know, to be woken up in the middle of the night with somebody having a party out in the garden. That's just and it's frightening as well. You know, when suddenly you wake up, you don't you initial really like what's after waking me up sort of thing and they're not being able to get back to sleep uh, after that and, but the biggest you can hear it in Catherine whatever about the huge inconvenience of not getting a decent night's sleep because people want to party every night of the week not just on the weekend uh, but it's that fear it's that real real fear of COVID-19 and people bringing coronavirus into their area and spreading it and then they'll be going to the shops and what if I go into the shop after them am I in danger of picking it up you can really sense that fear so parents do have a responsibility if your son or daughter has packed a suitcase and is headed off to a house in the city to party for a few weeks are you questioning why and what they're getting up to 1850 lines open You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. A new HSC telepsychiatry hub, which will provide around the clock consultation to children in mental health services, was launched yesterday by the Theatre Clear of Radcar and the Mental Health Minister Jim Daly. Jim Daly joins me with uh, more details. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning. Uh, and you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, it's called Connect. Can you outline how this new service will operate? Yeah, what, what has happened is the National Telehub has been developed in Ross Grey, uh, in County Ross Common, in the former Rosalie unit, which was a, a unit for older people uh, who moved on to nursing homes, so we were left with the spare premises. And one of the commitments I gave at the time as Minister in Charge was to uh, make sure that they the premises there will continue to serve the, the health needs of not just the local community but the wider western seaboard. So what we've developed there is our first telehub, which uh, Paul Reid, the CEO of the HSC, was on site yesterday as well. With myself and the T-shirt joined us virtually from the government buildings to launch it. 
Uh, and Paul Reid described it as a national flagship and indeed a template for the rest of the country. And essentially what it is is a CAMS Connect service that will provide psychiatry cover to CAMS teams uh, the length of breadth of the country. So what we've had a lot of the time in your show would be no stranger to some of the challenges where people are left waiting for services for CAMS, which is the mental health um, health service for young people, child and adolescent mental health services. And where you have an absence of a child psychiatrist, a consultant psychiatrist, an entire team can have their, their work slowed down or in some cases paused completely because of the lack of the, the necessary input of a consultant psychiatrist. So in short, we have about 71 CAM teams still in the rest of the country delivering services to children and adolescents. And every one of them is headed up by a consultant psychiatrist. But we have a severe shortage of consultant psychiatrists, so not every team has a consultant psychiatrist. So what we will have now is the, a consultant psychiatrist on call or on duty, sorry, 24 hours a day, seven days a week from this facility, who will be able to um, potentially feed into any camp team where there is a gap or a missing uh, consultant input, uh, which should hopefully uh, quite significantly improve the delivery. There's also a day hospital for young people on site and a day hospital for older people. But what would be of most interest to your listeners, uh, Patricia, is that this telehub really is the first of its type in Ireland where it brings mental health services online and uh, facilitates the delivery of very high-level input from consultant psychiatrists. And indeed, we will be moving that on to do psychology and indeed talking therapies and promoting all of those online to complement existing services, not to replace or not to uh, dis- displace existing services, but rather just to complement where there are gaps in the system uh, where we just don't have enough of consultant psychiatrists. For example, I mean, there's four inpatient units in the country for young people where they go in uh, for treatment and it's necessary for, for young people to be admitted. There's two in Dublin, one in Cork and one in Galway. But on occasions, you would have consultant psychiatrists who would be overseeing, say, the unit in Galway uh, would have to travel to Kerry to assess a child for suitability because there may be no place in the unit in Cork. So a consultant would spend a day travelling down from Crazy. to see a child in Kerry and go back up. It would be a full day to just do one. Just for one. For one. Whereas, whereas now that could be done through... Remotely online. Uh, yeah, online. yeah. And it, it just on, on that subject, why is it so difficult to recruit child psychiatrists? There isn't enough of them worldwide. Um, that's the, the simple answer to it, Patricia. And the reason for that is, I mean, even over recent years, if you see the amount of evolution, really, I mean, at the time there was, you had a consultant psychiatrist that covered psychiatry. Then you had a child, a child sorry, a psychiatrist and an adult psychiatrist. Then you have now a child psychiatrist specialising in eating disorders. You have a child psychiatrist specialising in anxiety and you have a child psychiatrist, psychiatrist specialising in the different areas and you're moving more and more into that space and you have adult psychiatrists. Then you have child psychiatrists specialising in intellectual disabilities and children with intellectual disabilities. So as the evolution of the science, if you like, has progressed and there has been more and more distance emerging under the umbrella of psychiatry, it has not been possible. I mean, as I said to you, there we have 71 CAM teams, uh, child and adolescent mental health service teams established in the breadth of the country since the last vision for change. So, I mean, that's only over 12 year period uh, that we have, you know, set up those 71 teams. So, we, you, the, the system cannot produce enough uh, psychiatrists for the demand. So, yeah. this this certainly the, the way forward. And these online uh, systems, I take it they operate successfully in other countries. We're not the first to do this. No, we're not. I mean, telemedicine has been around for a long while, and uh, it was something that I came across through an Irish man over in New York, Michael Dowling. Uh, he's a Limerick man, and he's the CEO of Northwell Healthcare in the state of New York. 
He's the largest employer in the state of New York, outside of the state itself. He employs 86,000 people over there, a man from Limerick, uh, in this Northwell Healthcare Company. And I was over there with the Dean Tonish at the time, Francis Fitzgerald, and we met with him and saw some of the work he was doing. And I, I noticed that he was delivering a lot of his psychiatry online and deliveries all over the state of New York. And I suppose when we think of New York, we think of it very crowded, but there actually is lots of rural parts of New York as well and very dispersed, disparate areas. And uh, they deliver psychiatry all over the state of New York through online. So I was fascinated by that concept. So I then uh, brought him over to speak at a conference I organised uh, back in September 2018 called Changing Direction, which essentially was to get buy-in from the practitioners in Ireland towards the whole concept of online delivery of mental health care. And to be fair, the psychologists, the psychiatrists, the talking therapists, they all came on board. They came to the conference with several hundred people at that conference. They heard Michael Dolan speak. They heard other speakers speak. They heard clinicians speak who have used um, online psychiatry and online psychology, online basically to resource online tools, had uh, used it in Australia, in America, all over Europe. So from that change of direction conference in 2018, September 2018, I have been driving that agenda to uh, drive um, services online. And thankfully, it's done very, very well during the COVID pandemic because we had the HSE had stood up a lot of pilots the length and breadth of the country, to deliver psychology and psychiatry online. So otherwise, I mean, the, the system would have uh, frozen during this uh, okay. pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so thankfully that we've embraced online and that it is working well for us. Yeah, so, and, yes, yeah and certainly I think if COVID-19 is, has taught us anything, it showed how successful uh, telemedicine uh, can be. Uh, a listener has a question saying, could you, could you ask Mr Jim Daly, please, this uh, telehub, is there a telehub for uh, adults? Uh, what is happening to help older adults, particularly in West Cork? Why is there not some residential care unit that they can go to when they come out of hospital to help them to recover? It's unfair for them that they have to go home to ageing adults, ageing parents. Um, we are a family dealing with a member of our family now for 37 years. Step-down facilities for people with mental health. Yeah, I suppose, look, uh, it's very hard to comment on any individual case. If you will appreciate, Patricia, and I don't know anything enough about the listeners' question. So this isn't directed to that list. I mean, that list would be better off to, to contact me or somebody else directly to, to get answers. I mean, their GP really is the most appropriate person outline what's available but just in general terms i mean in the 1960s there was 20,000 people in ireland inside in psychiatric units uh, we have since that time moved away from the whole notion of people being and obviously there will always be a need for some people to have to have inpatient care but what we launched yesterday was a day hospital for older people and a day hospital for younger people in castle and that's going to serve the entire western seaboard if you like those counties there galway roscom and mayo and as I said, uh, Paul Reed referred to it as a template for the rest of the country. Uh, I just happened to get very, very responsive people up there who worked with me very, very progressively. But a day hospital is a new model, and really it is a more appropriate model for a lot of cases. There will always be some cases who need inpatient care. But I mean, at the moment... Would you like to see something similar in West Cork? Well, like, at the moment, we have a less than thousand inpatient beds, and we obviously have a psychiatric unit over in the hospital in Bantry. Um, I would love to see a day hospital is what I would love to yeah, see. Yeah. Be a day hospital which would provide the services and would limit the need 
for people to have to actually go into inpatient units because it's very, very traumatic for families when people have to be admitted to a psychiatric inpatient unit for both the service user themselves and indeed and for, the, the, fam- for the, family. And the family. Okay, and, and just where we have you on, uh, Jim, an article in today's paper where doctors working in, in mental health services say that they need a doubling of funds is going to be required. They're describing what they reckon is going to be a tsunami of mental health issues that's is going to follow the COVID-19 pandemic. I know, you know, there'll be a new government and, and it, it won't be within your remit uh, anymore. But would you worry about a spike in mental health issues following this pandemic? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of debate. And we'll see, I mean, I would say there's two sides to mental health during this pandemic. One is certainly a lot of people found it very tough and challenging and there will be repercussions for their mental health. There's also another side where an awful lot of people were forced by, as I call it, the pulling off of the handbrake that COVID caused the entire world, just pull off the handbrake and brought the world to a screeching halt. A lot of people slowed down. A lot of people left the madness of everyday life. A lot of people reconnected what's real and what matters with their family, with time and space. They actually took up more exercise and, and all of that. And I think it, it brought us back to maybe a, a shuddering reality of a healthier way of living for many people. So there will be some benefits for people's mental health, certainly as a result of COVID, and there will be some additional challenges, the extent of which we don't fully know. We will be launching the refresh of a vision for change policy document, which is guiding uh, how mental health is going to be dealt with over the next 10 years. I'm going to be launching that someday next week in the Department of Health. Uh, which is very radical, very revolutionary. And I would argue about when they say doubling the money, I don't believe, and I've always said this, that money is the, is the issue here. I think an awful lot of us, like what I'm talking to there about, I mean, a consultant travelling up and down to Kerry in one day to assess a person for a 10-minute assessment, uh, instead of doing it online when it would have taken 10 minutes to do it, it takes the whole day to do it in the current system. So it's about how we do what we do, and I don't just accept the narrative that you need to throw twice the amount of money at it. We need to find new ways of doing old problems and tackling old issues. And I think that when I will launch the document next week, the Vision for Change Refresh, we will have a lot of models, and that's what I spent my time as Minister, was trying to change the way we do um, and deliver mental health and be more creative and imaginative in what we do that way, as opposed to just throwing more money at it. We look forward to talking to you about that next week then. And your volunteer work at Clan Hospital, does that continue? No, that has ceased. Uh, is it? So that, you you, know, you enjoyed it, though? I loved it, absolutely yeah. loved it. And it was very, I mean, I only did that weekend, right? So it, it did inform my work during the week uh, as a minister. It gave me a real hands-on. It gave me great confidence when I was speaking with clinicians and policymakers and all of those up at the Department of Health. I knew what I was talking about when I was on the ground in a place where I had a corona outbreak. Thankfully, that has uh, resolved itself. There is no more corona in Clinicality Hospital. And the crisis has been so down there. So, you know, I, I don't have to do the, the volunteering or it's not the stage now. But it good. was very helpful. All right. We'll talk again, Jim, in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Pleasure as always. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is the uh, Minister for Mental Health, uh, Jim Daly. 1850-333-103. Sadie and Bernie taking your calls. Now, some of your comments and emails coming into the programme. We were talking about hairdressers and the Irish Hairdressers Federation are doing a big push to the government. They want to go back earlier, according to the roadmap out of lockdown. 
hairdressers don't open now until what is now the final phase. It was meant to be the fourth phase, but they've got rid of the fifth phase. Everything now has been moved back. But July the 20th, anyway, uh, they haven't moved. The government yet hasn't moved on pushing the hairdressers to allow them to open earlier. And the Hairdressers Federation feel they should be allowed to open earlier. And they've got to put all these recommendations uh, in place. And they're going into discussions this week to see if hairdressers uh, can and should be allowed to open earlier. But I got an interesting email into Patricia at c103.ie from somebody who wants to remain anonymous, which is fine to say, Hi, Patricia, I am also a hairdresser and I'm absolutely a nervous wreck about the thought of going back to work. I'm actually sick of listening to others pushing for hairdressing services to resume before July 20th. I feel we're already opening far too early as a lot of people do not social distance properly. It's impossible for us. I really do find most hairdressers have cop on I I really do hope that most hairdressers will have cop on and hold tough until July, as was the original plan. It is extremely frightening time for us with families at home. I also have asthma myself and it is going to be very different when we return to work. And that comes in from an anonymous listener. And, you know, my heart goes out to that listener. That is really, uh, really tough. And it, it was the same yesterday when I mentioned about the retail sector and shops opening and I was saying to people, be kind and be considerate and show a bit of compassion uh, to people. And when you go into shops, if they, you know, they don't have what you need or you've been, you've had an excessive weight that you feel is an excessive weight, don't have a go at the shop assistants uh, over it because Nobody knows what's going on in other people's lives. And there was, you know, the majority of people returned to work yesterday and were very excited to go back to work and were delighted to go back to work. But I was also thinking of the people that were nervous about going back to work. People like this hairdresser here, who the day she returns to work will be nervous and nervous for her own health because she's got asthma. And obviously, as an asthmatic, she's doing everything that she possibly can to avoid getting coronavirus. And you also will have people who will have a vulnerable family member at home that they have to return to every day after their working day and they're going to be very nervous of them picking up the virus and then bringing it home with them and that's why you know I say to people to be patient but to show kindness uh, to others so I I I feel your your worry and your nervousness and please God by whenever hairdressers do open be as you say on the 20th of July or if other hairdressers get the nod to open earlier. Hopefully it'll be a very safe return. The only thing is you can take comfort from other countries where the hairdressing salons opened up very early on in the phases. They were one of the first to open up in in many of the countries and there wasn't any additional spike in the virus. So you can take comfort from that. And I suppose when you do go back to work then it's up to just really look after yourself, keep your own hand hygiene and, you know, and on social distance and, it, and I, I accept for a hairdresser it's impossible you cannot social distance if you're dealing with somebody's hair but just you know if somebody's coming into your space it's up to all of us ourselves to watch our own personal space and move back I don't know how many times I've been in conversation with people that has made me feel that they're just too close they're not adhering to the two metre rule I just keep walking backwards and move to the side and keep doing it the people eventually get the message so but, but you're not on your own there are a lot of people who are very very nervous about the whole issue of returning to work and then we had a healthcare worker from the North Cork area who uh, contacted uh, the programme. And this lady is six weeks post 
COVID-19. So six weeks ago, uh, she had it. And she contacted us because she said six weeks on, she still feels the effect of the virus. She says she's old school and she feels herself she doesn't drink a lot of water and she was not aware of the importance of staying well hydrated. One evening she fell and broke a bone because she was so dehydrated. That's her message to people, keep drinking the water. She also says she has just a complete lack of energy since suffering from the coronavirus. She says she is only, she reckons she's about 70% of her previous energy levels. Now she is back at work uh, and she obviously doesn't have any of the COVID-19 symptoms and she's now negative for COVID-19. But she just, she contacted us because she said there's not a lot of people talking about the post symptoms and how people feel after they recover from COVID-19. Also, she says, at the time that she was diagnosed with COVID-19, she didn't have a cough. She didn't have a high temperature. Her symptoms were pains. She did have the shortness of breath. And she had what she described as a very horrible taste in her mouth. And she had really bad headaches. But the only thing really in there that you would say, oh, you'd be suspicious of COVID-19 was the shortness of breath. And obviously, because she works in healthcare, she was sent forward for testing and then she was diagnosed as COVID-19 positive. But she says that that both the symptoms and the post-symptoms can be different for everyone. And she feels that there isn't enough talk about it and that more people need to be made aware of it. And and that's why she contacted us in the hope that we... She didn't want to join us on air, but she just wanted me to talk about it and to mention it and to make people aware. Firstly, that the symptoms aren't all of the traditional symptoms. Everyone seems to bang on about the high temperature, but it isn't just a high temperature. You can have COVID-19 and never spike a temperature. I mean, if you remember when I spoke with Mary Lou MacDonald, president of the Sinn Féin party, she was probably one of the most, the first of the public figures, I think, really to come out and admit that she had COVID-19. And when I went through her symptoms, she did have the cough and she did have the shortness of breath, but she didn't have a high temperature. And uh, you hear that. And then you hear other people who say what triggered, what straight away they knew they had it was they had a high temperature and they didn't have any cough. And then they, I haven't heard of that, the taste in the mouth. I have heard, and it is now one of the symptoms, people losing their sense of smell and losing their sense of taste. But here, here was a listener who said that she ended up the opposite. She didn't lose her sense of taste, but ended up with a horrible taste in her mouth. So just be aware that there are, are other symptoms. And as always, if you think in any way that you may have uh, COVID-19, then please self-isolate and immediately contact your doctor. I mean, that is the one way we will stop the spread of this horrible, horrible virus is when people do get it that they act and act uh, very, very quickly. 1850-333-103. Now, a number of calls into the programme. Let me just run down through some of the calls that we received. Uh, John in the city was on to us. And John is picking up on a story that's making the front page of the the, uh, the Irish Examiner. I certainly read about it today. And this is to do with uh, Cork County Council. They're down 300 million in commercial rates. And as a result, roads and social housing will all suffer. John said, we were all told that older people and those with medical conditions were the ones who would be most at risk from coronavirus. So John feels that they were the ones we needed to look after. They were the ones who should have gone into lockdown. He feels there was no need to close down the country. All able-bodied people should have been allowed to stay in employment. Then we wouldn't have had lockdown. Businesses would have continued. 
rate and would have continued to pay rates to uh, to the council and councillors wouldn't find themselves in the situation we're in uh, now. Uh, and because of that, John says, we're all going to suffer due to lack of services as the council will be short of money. And that's going to be a nationwide issue. Now, whether the councillors are going to have to get some kind of a bailout from central funding, even though everybody seems to be going to the government for funding, it's not a bottomless pit that's eventually going to run out. But I think, John, yeah, I think it's going to be a d- tricky, tricky time for local authorities going forward. But I mean, please God, but businesses back up and running and more businesses will start to reopen. Those businesses will start to pay rates. And of course, that's the money and the local property tax. Let's be honest, that's the money that will keep the councils going. When I talk about shopping local, Pat Infomoy goes further and says the shops that are reopening, there's a need in those shops for them to buy and sell Irish products. That will keep all of us in employment. So he hopes to see more guaranteed Irish or Irish produced products in shops available to us as consumers for us to buy and therefore keeping more money in the economy. Margaret, in Mitchellstown, parents need to be, or this is on students heading to third level and students that are on the COVID-19 payments at the moment. Margaret says, and hadn't thought of this one, parents need to be mindful if their children have been claiming the €350 COVID-19 payment and they'll be heading back to college later this year. It could affect their SUSE grant as it may push them over the income threshold and it could actually cancel out the SUSE grant for next year hadn't thought about that and of course the Susie grant is very strictly means tested so it is very very possible uh, Vincent was on to say totally agrees with the previous texter who was oh this was the previous texter when I mentioned about New Zealand and how New Zealand now are COVID-19 free and how you know we look to New Zealand because New Zealand are an island their population base is similar to ours but yet they seem to have got it well the world is looking at New Zealand because New Zealand got it so right but one of the things New Zealand did at the very start was they locked down the country when they realised that COVID-19 was in that was it they closed it down they looked after the people with the COVID-19 and they completely stopped the spread of it by having a very very strict lockdown that lasted 75 days of which 7 weeks of it was a complete lockdown only essential services and everybody else uh, stayed at uh, home Uh, and then Margaret one of our listeners made reacted to that saying well our problem was the difference with us was we might have done the lockdown side of it but we didn't close the borders we left uh, people in. Vincent says totally agree with that we let thousands of people back into this island after they went to Cheltenham and then what about the thousands of the Italian supporters we cancelled the rugby match but we didn't cancel the tourists coming in to visit and we allowed the Italians into this country at a time when the virus was rampant in Italy. Those two episodes alone said Vincent has cost many many lives in this country and the government needn't pat themselves on the back all because uh, uh, they needn't pat themselves on the back because they should never have allowed this to happen we should have closed our borders and closed our borders earlier and then Margaret and McCroom said when you're talking about New Zealand the politicians in New Zealand are also taking a 20% pay cut to their wages to help rebuild the economy Will we see Irish politicians do the same? Ponders Margaret in uh, McCroom. Patrick, thank you Margaret. Patrick in Charleville says a lot of hairdressers are working on the black market. They're working away on the quiet. He said they're going around, they're going into people's houses and doing hairs. He knows of one who actually phoned her regulars and offered the service of calling
according to her house. Uh, Patrick has also heard of chiropodists who are going around to homes as well. Well, I wouldn't be worried about the chiropodists because sometimes the chiropodists can be a medical issue. And I know we've been we've been contacted to people who urgent who were in pain and needed a chiropodist to call uh, or needed to to get to a chiropodist and chiropodists have been working on emergency appointments so when you say chiropodists are calling to people's houses Patrick you don't know it could have been an emergency and somebody in a lot of pain but the hairdressers on the black market we've been hearing about that I think probably a week two weeks maybe into hairdressers closing we started hearing of the amount of work that was going on by hairdressers now a hairdresser phoning the clients and phoning the regulars I hadn't heard of what we were hearing about was pressure was being put on a lot of hairdressers the regulars themselves were ringing the hairdresser saying I need you to do my hair and kind of intimating to the hairdresser you know well I I might have to look for a new hairdresser if you're not going to look after me during lockdown and really putting a lot of pressure which was very very unfair but has that has a black market economy grown out of hairdressing absolutely Absolutely. And a lady in Clon was shopping yesterday. She feels people are becoming complacent, particularly when it comes to social distancing. She also watched people inside in shops, picking things up and then putting them back on the shelf. She thinks people have become very careful. Uh, She's also suspect of some of the hand sanitizers that's been offered at shop doors. She's wondering, is it watered down? Well, you can get different types of hand sanitizers like we in the building here have the gel ones which are really the thick ones but we also have one that actually is like water but it's, 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 it's liquid it's not gel and it does the very same job so no there's, there's different different brands and, and different types shops want you to be as safe as possible going, in, going into the shops I don't know maybe they are watering it down but um, I, I'd be slow to say, to say any shops are actually watering them down and Timmy is oh this is to do with the parties going on in the city, the lockdown parties by the students. Timmy said, I'm a resident with over 50 years in the Connacht Avenue area of Cork City. These house parties have been going on for as long as I can remember and antisocial behaviour on behalf of students. I've had to ring the guards numerous times over the years, but especially over the last few weeks. It's hard to identify which house the party comes from, which was the point Catherine was making as well. And he says, most landlords, even if you have their telephone numbers, won't answer your call because they know you're going to ring and complain. Most of the residents in the Connacht Avenue area of the city were at our wits end uh, and some were even considering selling up. I almost left three years, three weeks ago. I've had enough. I've been in an area for 50 years. It's really is shameful. When are those young people going to just cop on and when are the parents going to say enough is enough? 1850 Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And the best of luck to Luke O'Mahony who is running his first full marathon in Cove on Saturday the 20th of June. It's in aid of the Fun Bar Challenge for the Clef Lip and Palette Association of Ireland. 56 of his friends have also undertaken challenges and there are now 55 challenges set to take place in 20 different countries on Saturday the 20th of June. You can donate through the Facebook page which is Fun Bar F-U-N-B-A-R-R Fun Bar Challenge. And the usual 
virtual cycle challenge for the Irish Hospice Foundation is taking place on a slightly different track this year due to the COVID-19 restrictions on travel. They're calling on everyone to cycle 20 kilometres on the 20th of June and to simply donate 20 euro. That's a terrific idea. Any pedal power counts, bicycle, electric bike, static bike, the choice is yours. And maybe you can even get 20 friends to sponsor you or take up the challenge with you. It's simple, 20k, 20th of June for 2020 and that's in all in aid of the wonderful Irish Hospice uh, Foundation. And completed application forms for Castle Lyons Community Text Alert Scheme must be returned by Friday the 26th of June. If you would like a member to contact you, please call 086 823 7538. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 Okay, and quickly just a rundown through some of your texts that are coming in. Joan says there will be no problem with everybody going out and about if everybody would wear masks. And there's that big pushes and there's some feel that we need the government to say right that's it everybody wear ma- masks and they're very slow and Nefert and Dr Tony Hoolian, the Hoolian they're very very slow to do it but a lot of people feel the wearing of masks makes people feel a lot safer when they're out somebody said I was shopping in Canturk today I was out for my first time in 11 weeks and no one uh, is wearing masks well it, it's not compulsory to wear masks I mean the advice is if you're inside and you're like going into a supermarket or if you're going to be in a confined space or you're going to be with somebody and you can't do the social distancing you can't keep two metres away from the person all of the time then it's recommended that you wear a mask but there is it's not compulsory it is not compulsory on the student parties that we spoke uh, about again on the programme today Stephen says we need to shut down the off licences uh, and if there was no drink to be got those young people would not be uh, partying and someone else was saying on this uh, that it's the parents of those young people that are a disgrace they should be tracked down and, fa- and fined says uh, Mags uh, not happy at all to hear that it is uh, going on and then on lockdown I haven't seen my son since the day that this all started says this texture and you know Irish mammies and their sons the pining for him is desperate but because he lives in Cork it was too far for us to travel when we had the 2k the 5k and then it was to be the 20k but my neighbours sons and daughters have come from all different counties willy nilly kept calling to see their parents I can tell you I will never think well of them again acting as if there's nothing wrong and putting us all in danger I won't give my name if you don't mind thanking you though for improving my day well you're now well well done to you listen you can people abided by the restrictions people were very good I think the majority of people were very good but there was also other people who for whatever reason their own reasons decided that to hell with that I'm going to do my own thing I'm going to risk it I'm going to go out in the car and I'm going to drive and I'm going to do whatever I want to do they pleased themselves uh, and we can't do we, there's nothing we can do about it if they were stopped by the Gardaí they, there might have been something the Gardaí uh, could have done but at least the good news for you is that now you can travel anywhere in Cork and you can go see your son or your son can go see you and I imagine you'll have a lovely reunion and it will be terrific uh, thank you for your text I think if the government provided a proper bus service to colleges this is all this is to do with the student parties as well a bus service to colleges in rural towns and countryside it would free up houses for people who are on the housing list it would also cut down on antisocial behaviour the students that are living 20 to 30 kilometres away from college no need for them to be renting 
the only reason that they would need to be living close to the college was if they had a job in the city. Other than that, all of them could be living from home, uh, going to college and commuting, but we need to have proper bus services in which to do that. Thank you for that. Hi, I missed some of the interview that you did with the manager of the St Vincent Paul charity shops. Is it possible that you could call out again how many people are allowed in a shop? I wasn't sure what he said about the size. Um, I, I can't off the top of my head. I don't remember the actual number that he gave. But what he did say was, I think they'd signs up in all of the shops. You see, it varies from shop to shop. It's so much you're allowed so many people in a shop per square metre. I don't have the actual figures on it. But that number will vary for every shop because you're going to have some shops are smaller, some shops are bigger. That's why some of the smaller shops, it's probably two people max along with the person working in the shop is is allowed in. And then you've got the bigger supermarkets. Obviously, they can allow 50, 60 people in uh, because they've got a bigger store. So it varies from shop to shop. There's no one set amount that I could give you to say every shop is allowed to have that many people uh, that many people uh, in it. Hi, Patricia. My NC- Now, this is a strange one. My NCT is out in August and I went to book online and it comes up that my NCT is valid until... December. I'm just wondering what's the story with that. And of course, the computer says no. Once the computer won't allow you in for some reason, your NCT. Okay, my the first one is you're sure that it is due in August and it is not due in uh, December. Would be the first one. Second one. I know they extended any in you know when when the NCT centres closed down. There was an extra three months put onto everybody's NCT, but that was the people in March, April, and May. Is that what's happening with with August? I mean, if the if the computer won't allow you to book an NCT, then it won't allow you to do it. There's, there's no other way around it. I would suggest maybe you email the NCT centre. You could ring them, but if you're going to ring them, you're going to have to stay online. I know Bernie, bless her heart, earlier on rang the NCT centres for us when we had a query in about NCT centres and which ones were open and I found it online then it's the two for Cork Little Island and Blarney but I think she waited 20 minutes to be told it was just Little Island and Blarney was open so if you've got patients you could try ringing them as well but email if there's an I don't know if there's an email address there probably is an email address I always find email is one of the best ways of doing it to get get through to them or if they've got a Twitter account to give them a direct message on Twitter is always a great way to get a response uh, as well but you've no way around it if the computer won't let you in if the computer says your NCT isn't due until December but I've no explanation as to why somebody's NCT out in August would be told online that the NCT isn't due until uh, until December and somebody else is wondering when are masses going going to be back on they've moved the mass days back as well the churches weren't meant to fully reopen until the 20th of July but I know the Catholic primate of Ireland uh, has asked for all churchgoers to be patient and understanding with the uh, church as they are getting ready to reopen and they're expecting to do it from June 29th. I thought it was July 20th but I'm reading a piece from Patsy McGarry in the Irish Times today and they're expecting that worship in churches uh, will pick up from the 29th of June. I'll double check on that because I thought it was meant to be the 20th of uh, July at the moment. Churches are open you have to check with your individual church for the times for private prayer but you have to go all every church is different and the, their opening hours are all uh, different and Heidi is trying to renew her driving licence and she went she said I'm trying to book an appointment online in Skibbereen but it's impossible to do so any news if and when they will uh, reopen and the the driving licence centres the NDLS centres are open in the three are open in Cork the one in the city the one in Mallow and the one in Skibbereen but you must 
book online. You, there's no walk-in service uh, available. Again, I, I imagine the reason that you're having a problem, Heidi, is to do with the amount of people that are trying to book in to get their driving licence renewed. But I wouldn't be panicking on it because if you could stop by the Gardaí and your driving licence is out of date, you're OK because we know they're all covered because they know that the NDLS centres have been closed. Keep trying is all is all I can say to you on that one because you certainly can't walk in. And again, if you can find, I don't know if there's no phone numbers on uh, any of them, if you can find an email address uh, for them, you may be able to email and explain the problem that you're having or go on to their Twitter page and send them a private message. 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. And I just want to reference a WhatsApp that's just come in from Neil in West Cork. And Neil, thank you for this to say, Hi Patricia, I just received a phone call from an Asian sounding gentleman claiming to be from my visa department telling me two transactions have been made on my card this morning and wanted me to agree to the transactions. He asked me for my mobile telephone number to verify my disagreement to the these transactions. When I asked him, why do you want my mobile number when you just have to ring me on my landline? He hung up at the beginning of the call, though he did know my name. Oh, um, OK, very obviously a scam. What I would say to you, Neil, and I, I don't worry, I, I, you didn't give any details of your credit card, so you're OK, but I would contact your bank. I would just put a call through to your bank and let them know what happened and just so that they can keep an eye on your visa. I'm sure your card is fine, but you uh, thank you for that, for giving it as a word of warning to others. Be very, very careful and we did reference that last week during our uh, Garda file last uh, Thursday we were talking about there has been a spike in those calls being made during COVID-19 they really are uh, uh, trying to catch people out who are in lockdown and trying to they reckon people are more vulnerable than ever so you do need to be really really careful Joe Heffernan uh, joins us good afternoon to you Joe good afternoon Patricia you have to be careful every time the phone rings don't you because you don't know what scam artists are out there which is shocking well it's emails I mainly get and you? Um, you know I've even been forwarding them on to air have you um, to, you know that they might be able to to, to, to follow up or to find yeah. or to cut off uh, these things. Um, what, are they the ones saying you've won the lottery or something? Or? You're in, they're not as obvious as that. They're oh, the ones that are saying, you know, you need to update. Oh, yeah. And yeah. all that. And Basically, people, people can get caught. Huh? People have got caught out with it. Yeah, yeah. It's as simple as this. If I don't know where it's coming from, I don't... Um, I don't, uh, I, 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 I just delete them. Well done. Um, yeah. The other thing is that I got one there recently now and uh, uh, I knew the company so I rang them and I was told, yeah, those are legitimate. Yeah. So that was fine. But uh, I, I I mean, I, I, I won't click on, uh, you know, the click here business. Yeah. I, I just won't do it unless I know uh, that it's definitely... Okay. That is a wise, wise piece of advice. Now, someone is looking for advice, and I don't know if you can help or not. Uh, a quick in inquiry, please, with uh, Joe, your psychologist. She thinks you're a psychologist. I'm a West Cork resident, bit rural, looking for a therapist. Where do I find a competent psychologist? I've asked friends, but there are few and far between out there. Uh, thanking you. Now, I don't know whether she. I know you're you're a psychotherapist. Yeah. Um, and I'm. So if it's a psychotherapist she's looking for, as opposed to a psychologist, because they're two very different things. But I think people get the two confused. 
They do, but you know, um, basically, um, uh, a clinical psychologist, um, a psychotherapist, a counsellor, um, uh, if they are fully accredited, um, there isn't an awful lot of um, of difference in 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 the uh, in what they do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I heard a joke one time. Um, so there's always a joke. I heard a joke one time, somebody saying, what's the difference between a counsellor and a psychotherapist? And that the answer was about 30 euro. <laughs> okay. So, but, um, yeah, no, the ISCP website is brilliant. If you get on to the www.iacp.ie, I'll just put in IACP, and you'll see um, uh, um, uh, a box there that you can click on called Find a Counsellor. Now, um, all you have to do is, whether it is Cork City or whether it is West Cork or whether it is Kerry or whether it is Monaghan, once you put in the area, um, uh, all the fully accredited and fully competent uh, psychotherapists, counsellors, will come up. And that's important. Yes. You, you know and that they're all registered. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm not absolutely 100% certain, but I'm quite sure that the PSI does the very same thing. Now, the PSI is the Psychological uh, Society of Ireland, and uh, I'm, 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 I, I'm not certain, but I'm fairly certain that if you go into psi.ie, that more than likely that they would have a list of psychologists in one okay. area. And in your business, you're back now doing face-to-face. You had been doing teleconferencing. Te- teleconferencing, But are all back face-to-face? Um, no. Um, uh, I, I do a fair bit of HSE work and um, that, until I'm told otherwise, will remain as um, telephone followed by email. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm delighted uh, to be back. Um, I, I I have some people coming later today, and um, uh, I'm I'm really delighted. Good. And, uh, I was speaking earlier with Minister Jim Daly, Minister you. for Mental Health, uh, and I referenced a piece that's in the paper today. It's some of the leading psychiatrists in the country. They are really worried about what one psychiatrist called a tsunami. Yeah of mental health issues and you know they were talking about young people um, and during the pandemic you know, there was one y- young lad just took up exercising and then it led to excessive exercising oh, right. and in a very short period of time uh, it, he lost 20% of his body weight and it's just yeah. you know an anxiety in young people and um, you would you be fearful of that that this pandemic is going to cause mental health issues for for people? Most definitely. Um, and uh, as you know, I do uh, one of my areas of work that I do, uh, and I also teach courses on it, would be CISM. Now, that stands for Critical Incident Stress uh, Management, CISM. And for, for, I won't say for the majority, for a very high number of people, this represented a critical incident. Um, people's ability to cope with lockdown has varied and it has affected some people extremely negatively. Um, I remember reading Kira Kelly there recently in the, uh, in the Sunday Independent and uh, her heading on that particular Sunday was, um, I am more fearful now of the lockdown than I am of COVID-19. 
Um, so it, it is having a, a huge effect. And um, Well, here, here's a statistic for you. Pandemics can cause post-traumatic stress disorder in between 5 and 7% of the general population and wow. among 15% of healthcare workers. I mean, that's wow. a, that's well, a no, shocking that's a, figure. That's a startling uh, percentage. I didn't know that. Um, and thank you for that information. Yeah, I've been working a bit with frontline workers. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been, uh, you know, uh, trying to be as helpful as possible. And, uh, you know, one of the things would be for people to realize their um, uh, limits. Um, you know, people who are good people um, can sometimes... Uh, if you'll forgive the silly way of putting it, they can be too good, and then they they fall down under it. It's like codependency when a person, um, if there's a person who is sick in a family, for example, naturally um, uh, the the focus is on the the sickest person in the family. Now that can also be that the focus can be on the person who is. Um, in trouble for one reason or another in the family. And one has to have a certain professional detachment because otherwise you find you're not sleeping, you're uh, constantly um, preoccupied with the things you've heard. But to come back to your the percentages there, which, um, you know, is pretty high, the thing is that post-traumatic stress is very normal. No, it's if it becomes embedded, if it becomes um, constant and it isn't treated, then it can become uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, the disorder bit need not necessarily happen if the post-traumatic stress is dealt with. And the usual, the three um, aspects of uh, post-traumatic stress are avoidance, intrusion and hypervigilance. Now, um, very simple examples of that. Avoidance. If I had an incident, or a road traffic accident, we'll say, on the road between Mallow and Cork, I now find I'm going via Burnford, this, that, the other road. I don't want to go that route because I get the bad feelings get triggered every time I pass that place. Um, so that would be your um, avoidance. Now, intrusion would be what we regularly call flashbacks and our nightmares. Um, in other words, like vivid recollection of the event. And for that, there can be triggers. Like it can be loud bangs. It can be um, uh, a smell of petrol. I, I'm just using the same example now, uh, being simplistic about the road yeah, yeah. And then you have your hypervigilance, that you find you're driving and that the knuckles are white and that you're on constant alert for other vehicles on the road. In other words, like that you are uh, on red alert all the time. Now, if these are treated in time, they don't become what I'll call embedded and they don't turn into a disorder. Um, and to come back to what you were saying about that young man well ago, this is a different um, topic in a way now, but um, anything that's good can become bad um, if it's in excess. Excesses are not good. I mean, drinking water is recommended to us all, and we do, but apparently one can overdo it. 
exercise we're told is excellent um, for a stress buster during all this um, uh, lockdown thingy um, but excessive exercise excessive, and, and, and actually, it can become and the same young lad it, it, it triggered an anorexia and, and over exercising but yeah. the, the psychiatrist one of the leading psychiatrists in the country was saying like some people have coped well but others have not. Yes. And that's what we have to recognise, that other, others have not. And if you're not coping well, you need to reach out. Yes. And there you have it. You you need to reach out. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's a sign of strength to be able to say, I need some help here and to go about it. Um, you know, there there's absolutely no, whatever the word is, there's no downside to looking for appropriate help. It's the thing to do. Um, So one would hope that anybody who is uh, feeling... um, No, none of us... Under pressure. None of us was jumping for joy. No, no, Uh, but we're we're, we're getting out the other side and that's the important one. As always, we never have enough time. We'll talk again next week, Joe. Stay safe. And uh, thanks a million. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs the counselling practice in Bohabwee's number 029-76617. On the NCT, uh, they are trying to clear the backlog from when the lifts were out of order. So they're sorting all those cars first. Uh, They have added on three months to your NCT so the listener who rang to say the NCT was out in August, they've added three months of her new date is December. OK, so that's the reason and you can't book until your NCT is in is out of date. OK, that's where we have to leave it for today. Thanks to Bernie and uh, Sadie Toshmar. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.